welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. I'm Peter and it's a good morning from me and welcome from him. Living Word Bible Church. We're at Hope Valley in Adelaide, South Australia, and may this service be a blessing to you wherever you are, whether you're in Manham or Nookenbar or Thessalonica or even Old London Town. We welcome you all today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead for Euodia and I plead for Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal folk, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Pete. You can have the job. You're a natural. I mean, it's great, isn't it? Into the message. Let me ask you, how many thoughts, how many thoughts do you think you've had already this morning? Have a guess. Thousands. Thousands. He's got a a very active mind, hasn't he? Possibly, Graham, because they say on average we have 6,000 a day. So they say. I must be below par. I don't think I have that many. (laughs) Okay. So on average, we think things are constantly going around thousands and thousands and thousands. And I mention that because our thoughts are something that is important in Christianity. It's a moral standard, it's an ethical standard, that doesn't always show up in every religion of the world. You know, in, in many places, it's more about what you do than what you say. After all, you can get away with what you think, can't you? I mean, who knows? But when it comes to biblical thoughts, when it comes to the expectation of God, what we think matters to Jesus. And so what we're going to look at together is just verse 8, 
We're going to try and do a whole of our 30 minutes or so on, in this verse, okay? Um, it may be a bit shorter today. Uh, my notes are shorter. It all depends how much I waffle in between my notes. That's the issue, you see. So, look, I'm like I'm doing right now. So let me just get moving with what I'm going to say. Here's our heading, okay? Uh, overall, heading, overall heading, if you remember, is the, the secret... You know, I can't see my nose. I've got a lot of text here in the wrong blue. I think it's something like the, the secret to a fulfilling Christian life it is. The secret to a fulfilling Christian life. And here's our heading, subheading number three, because we did two last week. Soundness of mind is found in perpetually dwelling upon holy things. Soundness of mind is found in perpetually dwelling upon holy things. They say, don't they, you are what you eat? That is a saying, isn't it? You are what you eat? Meaning, you know, your health, level of health is represented by what you eat. I obviously don't eat very well. Okay. <laughs> I weighed myself this morning thinking, oh, I'm never bringing weight. I've gone down. Sorry, ladies. You know, it's just, you know, it's one of the downsides of a... Of, I don't know. I think it's because I'm just too active, aren't I? Okay, look, you are what you eat. Here's another um, proverb. You are what you think in the spiritual realm. You are what you think. And so what do we think? It's what we were looking at together. What do we think about? Here's a reality. If somebody could split open our heads, take a cross-section... And read our minds, even now. You're sitting thinking, oh no, not him again for the next half an hour. Okay, you know, what are, what are we thinking? Look, I told you, I can read him like a book. What are we thinking? Hey, you know, we can be, even in church, doing singing or listening to a sermon and be thinking on wholesome things or distractions. And you know, we could be right now, couldn't we? Hey, you know, what are we having for lunch? What are we having for lunch? Exactly. See, he's already thought of it. It's going through his mind. And so the Bible wants to, the Bible wants to cash in. Jesus wants to cash in on how we think, what we think, when we think, how often we think. And verse 8 is all about that. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Hey, Paul, when he wrote that, it, it wasn't particularly new. The Stoics, for example, had these lists, and it's quite common in Paul's era to be having you know, a list of vices and virtues. But what's special about Paul's list is that it's Christocentric. That is, it, it focuses around, and we'll see this morning now, and revolves around, it's anchored in the cross, or anchored at least in Jesus. So it's set apart in that sense, and it's not merely outwardly. In fact, this entire list deals first and foremost with inward thoughts. He begins, finally, brothers, we said last week, you know, women, don't be offended, it is inclusive. And as you know, many modern Bible translators have changed the language to represent that. I'm not always convinced that's the right way to go about it. I think education is a better format. Rather than change the text, we inform people how to read the text. 
So I'm saying to you, good Christians, when he says brothers, it includes females. It's inclusive language. Finally, brothers, he's using affectionate language because it's, what he's going to say is quite hard-hitting because he's really going to send the explorers in to every crevice of our minds now, but he wants to do it gently, lovingly, uh, not condemnatory. So look, finally, brothers, hey, hey guys, hey, listen to this, listen to this. And so he begins, whatever is true. There's a lot of, let me just say, there's some similarity and overlap between them. I'll try and present something reasonably distinct, but there is overlap. Whatever is true seems to stand as a contrast to falsehood, to false elements, to, to, to whatever isn't regarded as, as being transparent, if you like. And in fact, this is where we first encounter something of the Christological nature, because Jesus said, this is what he says about truth. He spoke about it, and he spoke about it to Pilate even. But here in John 14, Jesus said, I am the truth. So when we think about truth, how do we think about lies, white lies, and whatever lies, whatever is false? But I think our minds, what Paul wants to do with our minds, is to steer it first and foremost to the very essence of truth. Jesus didn't just tell truths. That was his point to Pilate. He was the very indication, marker, the, the starting point of all truth. It's what we have a saying, don't we? Uh, uh, Let God be true and everyone a liar, or, or words to that effect. It means that we take all truth, uh, the starting point of all truth, from Jesus. Hey, I had a, one of these great moments this morning. Theo said to me, even as you know, uh, uh, you know, showing your halo, halo moments. Theo said to me, how come you know so much, Dad? Great. I didn't, know, I didn't know I knew so much. Okay? So next time you think I don't, I do. Okay? Apparently I know a lot. Okay? And, and so I'm assuming he's taking some standard of knowledge from, you know, from his little dad. Hey, Jesus is the standard of truth. It all starts there. Whatever Jesus is, whatever he says in his word, whatever he communicates, that's the, that's the position from which we, we measure everything. And what Paul wants us to do is to think of truth, everything, that, everything that's opposed to falsehood, lies, and to think of it as starting from what Jesus is and to be dwelling upon that. Let me move on. What, whatever is noble... That's an old-fashioned word. There's this film we love watching. Uh, it's one of those you kind of can watch over and over again. It's a comedy. Uh, I can loan it to you, if you like, called Just Visiting. It's hilarious. He tra it time travels to the future. He's a king, you know, of, uh, of medieval days. And, he's used to, and this is his peasant servant. He's used to you know, nobility. So when he's going around New York City in the, in the 21st century, his first question to people he encounters is, Are you noble? Because if you're not noble, he doesn't want to know you. He won't talk to you. He disregards you entirely. Are you noble? Now, it's nothing like that. Paul is not thinking about nobility in that sense. Rather, what commentators seem to suggest is honorable is what's meant. Whatever qualities of speech, behavior,
temperamental relationship that are honourable, he wants us to be focusing on those things. The things that will be regarded in our society uh, as welcomed. Now, let me give you one example. I mean, look, we're all adults here, I think, on where we are. You know when Jesus said, honour your mother, m- mother and father? Who, who did? He says it twice, at least twice in the Gospels. Who was he addressing? He's using this term honourable, and, and he used it twice at least about mothers and parents and teachers. Uh, what age group was he addressing? Twice he talks about honouring him, your mother and father. What age group, have a guess, was he addressing? Because this will surprise you. Have a guess. Adults. Whenever we read that verse, where's our mind go? Kids, honour your parents. Jesus spoke mentioned that on at least two occasions and both times he addressed mature adults. Yeah, that's the word for our times, isn't it? And here's a challenge. As mature adults with aging parents is a typical scenario of our church here. How much do we think about or taken up with how we can honour them? Hey, this isn't just a verse for kids to dads. This is for maturing adults towards maturing parents. Honor. And so Paul's point is, is that the thoughts, these thousands of thoughts that go around our mind must include, as a Christian, thoughts of how we can act honorably, how we've, how we've witnessed honorable acts. He continues, whatever is right, this is more to do, it's more judicial if you like, it's, it's examples of justice, or, you know, you know, whatever is righteous. It's about being bothered mentally when we see injustice. It's about being taken up of what is right for our world. Jesus speaks about a situation when he gives an example. And he went out the third hour and saw that others standing in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, whatever is due, Whatever is proper, you know, the right rate, that's what I'm going to pay you. Okay? And so the point being is, is, is we spend time, we ought to be spending time, says Paul, thinking about what's right for people out there, not just ourselves, but for the world at large. Here's a commentator. It refers to what is upright and just, conformable to God's standard and thus worthy of his approval hey let me ask you do we ever spend some time thinking about the inequality of life here compared to life in sub-saharan africa hey there's there's something not right about that isn't there that's something i consider do i spend time considering the inequalities of the legal system in north korea how does that affect my life? It's the th- what do I do when I encounter injustice? And so I think Paul's point here is that justice is something that should be a concern of Christian. And when he's thinking of justice there, he's thinking of, hey, whenever I think of justice, the first place my mind ought to go to as a Christian, even beyond just general uh, injustice in our world, is my standing before God. 
hey, here's a thought. You have no right to stand before God. No right whatsoever. We're condemned by sin. And so, well, whenever we think about what is right, here's where, here's where our thoughts are going. Hey, if we're going to think about what's just and what's right, I'm a terrible guy. The way I conduct myself, the way I have conducted myself, how am I going to stand before the judge? And that's when, remember we said it's Christological? We're reminded of one who was stood before the just God in, in the most uh, unjust episode in the history. That's the correct phrase, isn't it? Unjust episode in the history of the world when Jesus stood before God guilty of sins that he had not committed and paid for our sins hey I'm going to give you another scenario how do we cope personally with injustice have you ever been betrayed has anybody ever lied about you has anybody ever presented you in a poor light in an unfair light what do we think? how do we think about justice then boy I want to get them back you know some people spend years planning reprisal and I think the Paul's point here is, is that when we're thinking about whatever is right we're thinking not only of the injustices and how we can make a difference we're thinking of the fact that Jesus stood in our place to, to make those who deserve judgment to be right. And so when I'm thinking of justice next, I think my thoughts ought to be, hey, I am the recipient of untold injustice in that God forgives me my sin, shows grace. How should I be in response to those who have been terrible in the way they've acted towards me? Whatever is right, in the light of the cross, my mind so rather than thinking of vengeance, how I can get somebody back for injustice, may I be thinking about how I, how I can repay evil and how I can repay good for evil. How I can turn justice around the way that God looks at me next. And this is a hard-hitting one and it's just going to be you know, try to be as gentle as I can in this next one. Whatever is pure. Hey, what do you think that's talking about? Whatever is pure. What's that talking about? Yeah. What thoughts? Because the whole thing is about thoughts. Yeah. And, and, and where does that go? It's moral impurity. Moral impurity. You know, you know pornography is... is Perhaps the biggest issue facing our world today in a way of access. Do you know we had one of our, the kids, kids ran to our house on Friday. Now, you know, it's something you do as parents. And, and, and the one thing the mother said to me uh, is, will they have any access to the internet by themselves? This is their seven-year-old girl. And she wanted to know, will that person have alone internet time whilst they're in my company. Hey, let me tell you, if your child has access to a computer by himself or herself, whatever age they are with internet, they're in some danger here. 
you know, how far do you think pornography goes back? I was shocked. Pompeii. You've been to, has anyone been to Pompeii? Okay? You think like it's a modern invention, wouldn't you? This perverse way of looking at mostly men looking at females, but it seems to happen both ways. Do you know, when we, when we were walking around these artifacts, there were images in the brothel, pictures of pornography. It's nothing new. Nothing new. And, and Paul deals with it because it was a particular issue in his world. But we think it's an issue in our world. It was a particular issue in his world where, where, where this kind of stuff was just, just openly available. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm trying to keep the tone of this sermon down. But in some religious circles within Paul's community, it was regarded as pious, a religious act, to impregnate temple prostitutes. They were there for that reason. This is the kind of world that Paul speaks into. And boys, when we think of our world, hey, I don't, I don't think our world is any worse than it was. But it's a bad situation. Hence why Paul writes, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality amongst God's people. Boy, that's a tough one. And particularly for guys, I mean, here's something, ladies, I'm sure you realize, that men think a lot about sex. And if there's 6,000 thoughts that we're having on average across you know, males and females a day, I wonder how many of those in men's cases are about sex. And so Paul says, hey, in our thinking, in our thinking, Think morally purely. It's a challenge to avoid what we look at, isn't it? It's a challenge to avoid rethinking what, we, what we've looked at. There's a saying, isn't it? You can't stop birds flying over, you, you, know, you may have heard this, over your rooftops. Have you heard this saying? But you can't stop them doing that but you can stop them nesting in your chimney. You know what I'm saying? I get you know it now. And you know what it means, don't you? <laughs> Denise, can you explain that to him afterwards, please? It means you can't stop things happening generally, like birds will always fly over you. But you can stop them stopping at your house by scaring them off. We can't always stop thoughts flying past our fallen minds. But we can make some effort into stopping those thoughts taking root in our minds. And I think that's the point there. Hey, it's a challenging one, no doubt. But, hey, and let me say this to guys. So it was never any different. Don't imagine, oh, it was easy when Paul wrote that. No, it wasn't. It may have been worse. Okay? Okay, next one. And again, this, there's some overlap here. Whatever is lovely. It's a lot of British thing to say. It's what I commonly say a lot. Uh, what's lovely or that's lovely. Uh, look, it's another difficult term to handle. Here's what, here's what the commentator Hansen says. The term translated lovely, appearing only here in the New Testament, means causing pleasure or delight, pleasing, agreeable, lovely. So it's kind of supporting this, this thing about pure thoughts. I guess you could put it a bit like this. If we connect the two, it's, it's been, been able to look, look at 
I'll do it. For, I'll do. I'll do it from the, the female side. Okay, it's it's from a female being able to look at a handsome man. Okay, uh, and and to be at appreciating the beauty without it becoming perverse. It's it's regards things as beautiful for what they are without distorting them. I, I remember once I was at a youth camp. And one of the girls there, she was one of the leaders actually, was looking through the looking through the football, the kids' football magazine, looking at all the guys. And I go, oh yeah, you know, just you know, as a joke. I think she was obviously interested in the football as well. But she goes, oh, I'm just admiring how handsome these men are, you know. And you know, I was a bit taken back at first, but then I realised, as a guy, because if a guy was doing that, looking, looking through, looking at how beautiful women are, it's quite possible that that his mind was going much further than that. And so that was my instant thought. But then I, then I, to, I knew this girl, this lady, I had to think, actually, no, she's been honest here. She's just appreciating the wonder and diversity of God's creation. And I think that's, and that's Paul's point here, is that, we, is that he wants to really address our thinking, so rather than perversifying what we look at, and we can always do that, can't we, about anything, is to keep them in their proper place. And so Paul says this in 1 Timothy 5 about men and women. Look it right into Timothy. Treat young men as brothers is how we're to relate to each other. And here's the challenge. You want older women as mothers, okay? Um, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Paul is thinking of a community in church where Whatever the age group, I was—I had a picture of up and taking it down of a very beautiful uh, seven-year-old. She's meant to be the most beautiful child on the planet. Lovely girl. Uh, I think Tiffany looks much better than that myself. I'm sure you'd agree, Naomi. Okay, uh, uh, seriously. And and I was going to ask you. You know, when you you can, and I, I think that was a safe thing to do. You know, you can look at that and think, what a beautiful girl. Yeah, you know, I did. You know, without anything beyond that. And, and that's what Paul is saying, is, is that our minds are to be reconditioned by God's Spirit in such a way that we can admire beauty for beauty. You know, God made beautiful things. And uh, one of the things that we love about Australia is why we're always travelling somewhere. Okay? It's because it's such a beautiful place. Is to admire beauty for beauty's sake without going that little bit further. You know, it's been able to go up to somebody's. I often, uh, in, in, especially in, in church work, in different places of being, even here with some of our kids' friends, we turn up to some people's houses and they're obviously multi millionaires. Seriously. You know, you know and, and you, know, you know how I'm, I'm supposed to look at that? Like, wow, and I do, and I say with them, and it's one area of my life that's not a particular challenge, but I say to them, what an amazing place you have. And it's just been able to appreciate beauty without it becoming perverse. Whatever is lovely, says Paul, do that. Next he says, whatever is admirable, okay? Whatever is admirable. In other words, whatever is of good report. It's whatever is praiseworthy, uh, whatever is wonderful, if you like. And Paul gives an example himself in this very book. 
uh, he he notices something admirable and he and he lets his mind dwell on it, focus on it, and encourages other people to focus on admirable. And and it's his, it's his Paphroditus. Here it is in two twenty nine and thirty. Welcome Epaphroditus, or him, he says in the text, uh, in the Lord with great joy, and, and, he, and he says, honour men like him. Can you see what he's saying? Uh, Paul is demonstrating how his thinking is taken up with thinking about the wonderful, admirable things of his environment, and his mind is obviously on Epaphroditus, and how, what, a, what a wonderful guy this guy is, what an amazing fella. You know, you should commend, honour people like that. He's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of how he can honour, commend others. And so the challenge of this, this particular clause is, you know, do our minds think of admirable things? I, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was honest when I said this, Peter, but it just happens to relate to the sermon. Peter read the Bible and presented himself both to us and on video, live to the world, okay, in a, in a really, in a brilliant way, Peter. An admirable way. You know, and you know, my response was instinctive, but that's the kind of stuff, is to, is to dwell upon those things and to appreciate and glory in them, communicate them. I mean, sometimes Graham and I and Pete and, Pete and, Pete and Sid play golf together, okay? And on the rare occasion, they're rare on the Graham, on the rare occasion I might do a decent shot, and the ball just flies nicely, lands where it's meant to, on, on those rare occasions. I've heard him say, that was a beautiful shot, Montas. Perfect example. Except, I could see his teeth. That was a beautiful shot, Montas. And the clenched fist. You know, and then, and then, you know, and then kicking the dirt behind me as I was walking down the f to get my ball. You know, see? I've got the eyes in the back of my head, you know. No, I'm sure that wasn't the case. No, I'm pretty sure he's pretty genuine when he says it. He's admiring something worth admiring on the rare occasions that they happen. Okay? It's that kind of thing. It's to, it's to dwell upon those positive elements that we have come across in our world and to express that, obviously. And then he, he finishes, finishes it off. Hey, I was quick today. I'm nearly finished. He finishes off... Uh, with this, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. It's almost a summing up of everything that he says and he puts it together and he's effectively saying, look, and if I've missed anything, if I've missed anything at all, if, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these. Can you see what Paul wants? He wants, he wants through Jesus as an apostle an advocate of Jesus, as a delegate of Jesus, okay? He wants, he wants to master the area of our minds. This is unlike any religion of the world, okay? The apostle in Jesus wants the mind to be the battlefield of the Christian. This is one area we're not... It's not as though, look, we can come to church or we can do our Christian life. And so long as we are conducting ourselves in a proper light, we can think what we want. And like, you hear that, don't you, in the workplace? Especially, again, going back to that subject of men and women, you know. You know, you, know, you, you, know, you can think what you like, mate. You know, just, you know, don't do it. And no, Paul, now Paul says, hey, that in the area of our mind, God wants to be king. 
And what he's really doing is really partitioning that mind in, in, in every area that the Spirit brought to his attention. And he's saying, look, I want you to let Jesus master this, this, this. These are the areas. In the area of what is true, what is honourable, what is right uh, legalistically, what is pure morally, what is lovely in an affectionate way, what is admirable in things that we see. He goes, look, in all these areas, let them be mastered by Jesus. And if I've missed anything at all, I want you to include that. And this is how I want you to conduct yourself, says Paul. I want you to conduct yourself in such a way that your thought life matters. And Christian, how we've, what we've been thinking this week is as important, perhaps of greater importance to Jesus right now, than how we conduct ourselves now. Hey, the, the way we've thought and the way we've dwelt upon thoughts matters to Jesus. In fact, perhaps more so. Here's what God says about uh, David's brothers when Samuel went to him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at, the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What was, what, do you remember why, it's obviously the answer here, and he said it, but why God chose David? He chose him because he was a man after God's own heart. Here's the true thing. Your most sellable quality in God's sight, the thing that makes you the most admirable from his perspective, is your thought life is your thought life. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything else is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I'm going to finish off with this. Let me ask you. The next time somebody says to you um, uh, a, penny, uh, a penny for your, for your thoughts, we said that here? Yeah, how does that work? You mean a dollar for your thought? A cent? Do you say a cent for your thoughts? It doesn't work, does it? <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Penny for your thoughts. Okay, whenever you say that to a child, you have to explain yourself. They have no idea what a penny or a pence is. Okay, and that's in just four years. Okay, look, next time someone says to you a penny for your thoughts, I wonder if we could say, well, actually. I was thinking about Des and what a wonderful chap he is, how thoughtful he is, and how always through his mind he's concerned about others before himself, never wanting to put anybody out. You know, I was just thinking about that, thinking, what a great chap. I'd like to be more like him. Hey, could we answer like that? Or it would be even more spiritual, you know, pity for your thoughts. Oh, well, I was thinking about um, the, the efficacy of, of the substitutionary atonement of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it's utilitarian, utilitarian, I can't even say the word, advantage. Okay, Gregor's going to jump in there for me. Okay, you have to be able to say the word if you want to be thinking about it. It's easier to think about it if you can't say the word. Hey, what do we think about? May God give us the grace 
whether we're driving our cars, cooking, eating, working, doing leisure, and whether it's late at night and I'm watching TV or sitting in bed and no one knows what I'm doing, I've got access to this piece of technology, or whether it's at work and someone just wound me up and I'm smiling to their face, or they've just done a brilliant shot in golf and I'm telling them how wonderful it is, but I'm burning with hatred inside. May God give me the grace to think aright. And thus to be, thus to be, here's, here's the word, thus to be not sin, just sincere, there's another word for I am outwardly what I'm inwardly. What's that word? Um, Yeah, that was the word. Okay, integrity, integrity is being on the outside what we are on the inside. May God give us grace. And that's the secret, that's the third secret to a fulfilling Christian life. It's when our thought life is holy that we experience most of heaven. Amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.